What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease here with my good friend, partner, and co-host Richard Harris. We are the co-founders of Surf and Sales. We've got our next event, the 10th and 11th event, Richard. Can you believe that? Surf and Sales 10 and 11 coming up in November and early December. So check it out, surfandsales.com. And uh, what do we got going on today, Richard? We're here with two partners, two friends, I presume, two people whose brands are intertwined and married to each other, similar to us, which could be good, could also be very problematic as we've experienced. Yeah, right? I think we're going to turn this into the relationship therapy show where <laughs> we ask these two partners, how can Scott and Richard get along and be nice to each other? Yeah, the basis, basic premise of the show will be heal us. Please heal us. So. We've got uh, the best-selling authors of The Unselling Mindset. They also teach courses at USC and do a bunch of other things. We've got Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown with us today. And uh, before we introduce them formally and start chatting with them, Richard, do your thing. Let everybody know about our wonderful sponsor. Absolutely. We are... Uh, super excited this year to be brought to you by HubSpot and the HubSpot Podcast Network. Um, we are so gracious for their support of us, but also the sales community at large. Um, in fact, other shows on the sales section of the HubSpot Podcast Network, by the way, they also have marketing and a whole bunch of other departments. So if you're not a salesperson, feel free to, to go check them out at HubSpot Podcast Network. But I want to share uh, Scott Clary and his podcast, The Success Story, um, it's a basic Q&A session with a lot of successful business leaders, um, keynote presentations and conversations on sales, marketing, business and startups and entrepreneurship, which is probably why we're all here. Uh, and in particular, I want to talk about um, Michelle Snoop Dillard, who's an entrepreneur and business owner. He had her on. And um, first of all, anybody who goes by the name Snoop and can pull that, I think is cool. Um, love it. And she is a trailblazing powerhouse beacon of inspiration. She really does give these amazing talks about life and business and just sort of, you can't listen to her and not like her. It's, it's too hard to, to do that. So, um, you know, and she'll even tell you the mistakes she made, which I think is what we all like. We all like to hear about our mistakes so that we can um, help you not, you know, make the mistakes we've all made. So Anyway. And uh, and speaking of mistakes, I already made one, Richard. Which is? Well, I I called the book the wrong name. I retitled the book. Well, that's it's called that's it's why... called the unsold mindset, not unselling mindset. And so we you know the other day we started off the show. You took a big L, and I'm taking a big L today. Yeah, that is relationship equality. Welcome to the show, Colin and Garrett. We are excited for this one. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a therapy session for you guys, which is funny because, you know, we as professors at USC, we talk to students all the time. They come into our office hours. And the other day, a student came in and he goes, this is going to be a weird question. But do you guys give relationship advice? <laughs> we said we can try. So, you know, if, if you guys need a little therapy session, you want to just talk it out. We can just make it all about that. Yeah, we, we might have to. But, you know, I recently read one of your tweets um, and it said, do uh, you guys want to make fun of Garrett as much as Colin does? Mm -hmm. That's what it said. So that would tell me that, you know, you're not immune to the um, challenges of running a brand, running a business together. So talk a little bit about that. Maybe let everybody know how did you all come together and, and what's it like um, being intertwined like that? Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, I'll tell you that the secret sauce is that we are best friends in real life. And um, that's only interesting because I'll put it in context of a, a, a blog post that we just wrote around why it might be okay to run a business with your best friend. And most people say that that would be the, the worst thing to do, but you're already used to arguing with each other. Like number one, right? So you're already used to like giving and receiving feedback, except if it's your boy in this case, that you know that they don't have any malicious intent. Right. So like a, like from radical candor, like if you, if I say something to Garrett and it's <laughs> at least he knows it's from a place of love because it's his best friend telling him, even if it's things. Um, so I think that, that that's probably the secret sauce. Like we actually hang out in real life. We actually argue like best friends. He's my chief devil's advocate officer. And he <laughs> loves that role. He, probably, he might like it more than he should. Um, he's logical. I'm emotional. He's a realist slash pessimist. I'm just kidding. I'm an optimist. We look different. You know, we talk different. And I think that that's, that's the beauty of it, you know, is that if you can look at us as bookends, hopefully you'll see yourself in between us. No matter if you look at yourself when you see Colin or you see Garrett, somewhere in the middle is just the most authentic version of someone's self. It's so also the most, the, it's also the most fun part of what we do is that we get to do it together. Cause we do a lot of different, you know, a, a big part of what we do now is we travel around and we speak to companies and organizations and teams. And, you know, we have a lot of friends who have have done this path before us and they've written books and they've gone on the speaking circuit and they go, oh, it's just horrible. We burn out. Colin and I get to travel around all over the country together and we get to have a great time. We get to meet interesting people and then we get to go enjoy cities um, that we wouldn't normally get to enjoy with each other. So it's and like Colin said, people see themselves between us. So when we get up on a stage and Colin says something and I get to argue with him about it and, and take a different approach to whatever point he's trying to make, you know, we always end up meeting at the same place, but it's fun for us. And I think it's fun for other people too, to see us come at it from different sides. By the end of the show, we have to figure out, Richard, which one of us is most like Colin and which one of us is most like Gary. <laughs> well, I was actually going to flip it. We asked, we were in front of a group once. And by the way, I want to get on this joint speaker circuit because Scott and I would love to go to different cities, particularly if they have professional <laughs> sports, because we'll go hit every stadium along the way. Um, but we asked people like, well, how do you see Richard and Scott? And someone said, you know, Scott is fuck you and Richard is let's be friends. So, you know, our question for you, Colin and Garrett, which one of you is fuck you and which one of you is let's be friends? Mm. I don't know if either one of us is a fuck you guy, Colin. <laughs> it's more like uh Garrett's absolutely the fuck you guy. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. There it is. There it is. I knew that okay. was coming. First clue. There's the first clue. Yes. Uh, best part of being in a conversation with Garrett is the assumption is that I'm the fuck you guy. Or the or or to put it in better terms, the assumption is like I will be the closer. Like that's the assumption. And, and the reality is, is it couldn't be further from the truth. Like um, in about 10 minutes, I start just head over heels, falling in love with whoever I'm talking to. Right. And at some point I'm just enamored and Garrett will pull me in and be like, Hey, like, this is just a conversation about the keynote, not the whole keynote, dude, like shut up. Right. <laughs> but at the end of it, like they're expecting you, they're expecting me to be this salesperson and go in for some clothes, but I'm way too busy like catching a vibe, Garrett is actually the one that surprises the hell out of most people by getting down to like how we can actually structurally add value and what that value looks like, both adding and right receiving. And it works really well. 
which is sort of the theme of the book, right? Like that the greatest salespeople on the planet are the opposite of who you think they are. So it works well for us, Garrett. You're not fuck you. But if you had to <laughs> put a box in it, I'd say that you've said it more than I have behind closed doors. How about that? I'll own that. Yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's expand on on the the book topic a little bit. Whose idea was it to take on the endeavor of writing the book, and what was that process? Yeah, like? Richard Richard That's- is going through that right now, and and I've got three under my belt, and and my current thinking is I don't ever want to do one ever 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 again. Mm. So- Scott, if he gets us on the speaker circuit, if we can go to all <laughs> these different sports things, <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, we can talk about that later. Uh, but where, where did, where, whose idea was it to write it, and what was that process like? So early in 2017, um, Colin and I were both at a company called Bidium. It's where we met. Um, it was a startup. Where I was the chief revenue officer, and I was kind of the first salesperson. And as we finally hit product market fit, started to scale, I needed somebody way smarter than me on board. And that's when Colin came in. So we had been working together for about three years and we knew early in 2017 that we were about to get acquired. Um, we were kind of working through some, some conversations with different potential acquirers. And at that point, I think it was pretty certain that Google was going to be buying the company. And so we knew that life was about to change in a really cool way in a few months um, and that we kind of wanted to share how we did it because we didn't create a typical tech sales team. We were operating out of a garage in Santa Monica um, we, you know, our, the, the personality to the team was different. The way that we handled selling was different. And we just wanted to share it with people and people that started to come to us and ask us to share it. And so I remember walking down main street in Santa Monica and, and Colin and I are kind of talking about, okay, how do we scale this? And how do we take these ideas and make them about more than just the teams that we run? And Colin said, you know, we need to write a book. And I said, I, I stopped for a second and I, I just remember thinking, that sounds like a really cool idea. I don't know what it means, but the idea was definitely Collins in that moment. And then I think at some point over the next few weeks, Colin went home and actually tried to write a book, which ended up being like his life story. And I was like, well, this is not going to work for the Colin and Garrett show necessarily, but there's some cool stuff in here. Let's work on this together. And so over the course of what ultimately ended up being almost six years, you know, we wrote a book threw the book out because somebody introduced us to book agents and the agents said, Hey, you don't write a book on nonfiction. You actually write a proposal first. So then we spent a year writing a proposal and then the agent took it to the publisher. So it it was like this five year process, which ultimately probably included thousands of pages that got boiled down to the 250 or so that ended up in the unsold mindset. Um, But it was also like, just the best experience for us. And another great reason why working with a partner is so much fun because writing a book solo would be really tedious, but we always had each other to bounce ideas off of, to argue with and what ultimately came out of it. Cause we did, we argued and fought over every word and every word in the book we agree on and we stand by and we love. And that ended up being like just the best possible work product that I don't think, and Colin might try to try to say he could have done it alone, but I definitely know I could not have done it alone. I would not say that I could have done that. <laughs> I would say that the only missing piece to that story is when when these the industry found out that we were acquired by Google, we were receiving a lot of love from academia. Like with that, the least that, that was the place that we were least expecting like inquiries. We were, you know, we were quickly asked the guest lecture at a lot of universities. And and at some point what we realized was 
we knew that we were watching the new entrance into the workforce at Bidium. They had no idea how to move people. Didn't matter if they were engineers, didn't matter if they were salespeople. They did not know how to change the world because they didn't know how to change other people's worlds or their own world because they didn't know how to move people. So it was a skill set that like wasn't being taught at the undergrad level because it was such a yucky stigmatized title, right? You couldn't put sales in a course title and yeah. have you know, universities stand by it. And so regardless of why they thought that our approach was palatable, you know, eventually USC came and said like, look, like this is working. You're getting a lot of like great feedback. You want to make this permanent. And we titled it Sales Mindset for Entrepreneurs because what we were watching was this idea that nobody wanted to say that they were selling, but they all were. They were either selling an idea, they were selling themselves, they were selling someone else's idea, they were selling products. And the minute that they realized they were in some sort of selling situation in an interview process or trying an engineer, trying to get their boss to approve like a new project, they were trying to be a good salesperson and they were shitting the vet. Like every time that they got in a situation, they were trying to be the best version of themselves in this situation, they were doing a really poor job. So we we embarked on this journey to just teach people that like who people expect you to be in a selling situation and who people hope you are, are two completely different people. And so that became this really big conversation that it took place at USC and became really popular really fast the book agents, I don't think would have been as interested in us. I don't think Harper Collins would have given us the book deal. I don't think leading authorities would have, you know, came to us and started putting us on all these stages if we didn't first bake it out in the most, in front of the most unforgiving demographic in the world, which is college students. That's interesting. So I want to, I want to dive in deep and I, I love you, you sharing the genesis of how this all, all began, but Share with folks a little bit about not being a, a, a you know it's not it's not a, a product pitch or a book pitch, but what are the kinds of things if someone picks up this book? What are the things they're going to learn? What are they going to go? Oh, I've always wanted to know about that. I'm glad someone wrote about it. Like what what kind of stuff is in there? What advice? Yeah, I can take the first out of this if you want, Garrett. Um, with advice, let me give you sort of okay. So that's a great. The old, the old saying that if you ask for advice, you get money. And if you ask for money, you get advice. So there's like a really cool use case in there about some of like the greatest medical sales uh, reps and why like they do really well in year one and they drop off in year two because in year one, they're forced to be learners. Like, like, like infrastructure wise, medical sales companies are really good at throwing salespeople into the fire of the hospital and they're forced to ask doctors advice and ask questions from the people that actually use it. So there's there's concepts in there and you know we'll call it like we'll call it show your work like in math class where you didn't get credit for just the answer, but you got credit for showing your work. And we flesh that out that like great salespeople are actually really good at showing upside of them that most people intentionally hide. So we talk a lot about that. We, in the book, we talk about this idea that, you know, pathological optimism isn't about being naive. Like what it's about is if you have a conversation with someone and you assume that they are going to be your customer, you're having a conversation with someone where you're not needing something from them. And we all know what it feels like to have a conversation with someone where you don't need something from them. And we, we talk a lot about the dynamic between adding value and extracting value with questions. Most people are asking questions that they don't actually want to know the answers to, right? So like, why is it that some great salespeople 
are so good at asking questions that the answer, the questions that they're asking, people have never heard before. And why are great salespeople so good at creating agency in the people that they're talking to? Like this idea that people will say no to you because you're right. So we look at the end of the day, like I'm not going to give you the whole book because Garrett will kill me. And then that FU is going to come out. <laughs> what I will say is that what we do in this book is talk about the left side of the equal sign. So like there are books out there about mirroring, for example, right? Like you should mirror the person that you're in front of because then they'll, they'll think you're really engaged and subconsciously like you'll form this bond. All that is, is like someone somewhere realized really great salespeople are so damn engaged that they just accidentally start mirroring. What we focus on in the book is why are great salespeople so engaged in the first place? Like, what are they doing where they want to know answers to questions that most people don't want to know about? And so it's a straight up mindset book. I, th I think it helps to even go back a little bit. And, you know, when we started doing this and we started writing the book, we thought we were going to write a book about the mindset of the greatest salespeople on the planet. And so we went out and we started having conversations with the top salespeople at huge tech companies, at a bunch of different types of organizations. And one of the questions that we would ask them at the end of every interview is, you know, who's the best salesperson, you know, and the, our, our expectation was that they were going to tell us a great salesperson. Then we were going to go interview that person. And the second we started asking that question of great salespeople, the answers they gave us were not salespeople, quote unquote, right? Like not by title. It was artists and actors and the donut shop owner in their hometown. And so we, you know, military generals, we had conversations, we ended up having conversations with people from all walks of life. And we would ask them about the selling that they did every day, whether it was actually selling products or more often selling ideas and selling themselves. And then they all started to sound the same. And so we got to take all of the things that all of these great people do from, again, a, a top salesperson at, say, Oracle or Adobe, all the way to Snoop Dogg and, and JB Smoove, who we talked to for the book. And, like, and we got to compare how they, quote unquote, sell and then put those into different buckets. And so the book ended up being about the mindset. Some, the, the greatest compliment that somebody gave us after they read a manuscript of the final manuscript of the book was they said, you could take the word salesperson in this book swap it out and just put in the word person and it still makes sense because it's the it's it's about the mindset of the selling that we all do every day whether it's our job or not yeah about duality too like it's not about self-confidence it's about self-awareness like these people could say something realize it didn't land and course correct real time that's not because they were you know self-confident that's because they were self-aware socially aware you know we say it all the time like when you talk to someone and you know they don't think that you're listening they think that you're waiting to speak and you can change so the internal selling that some of like you know this probably more than most there are some really great external sellers that suck horribly when it's time to sell internally they can't get people inside of the building to want to fight for them they can't get their boss to want to lift them up. Like I have met so many great people that can do all the skills necessary to run a great sales team or a great leader in general of an org. And everyone inside the org can't stand them. And they're a ticking time bomb because they don't see the transcendence between internal and external selling. And they think that it's a different, you know, mode, but it's not. Greatest salesperson of all time, Richard, what were you thinking as Garrett was talking about that? You mean excluding us? <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. saw that coming. Yeah. Yes, excluding probably, us. Prob prob probably the average five-year-old is a pretty good salesperson. Mm -hmm. You know, but 
It's interesting that you say that because part of it, we talk about this in the introduction of the book, but anytime Colin and I are in front of an audience or we're talking to a team, you know, we ask them, and even if it's salespeople, we'll say, what do you think of when you hear the word salesperson? And it, it doesn't matter who we're talking to. And it's always slimy, sleazy, manipulative, used cars, whatever, you know, all the, all the stereotype stuff. And then we follow up with the question of who's the greatest salesperson, you know, and the audience will start shouting out my kids, my wife. Jesus, Steve Jobs, Martin Luther King, which by the way, those are the two most common answers, Steve Jobs and Martin Luther King. And so then when we point out, hey, you just said that when you think of a salesperson, you think pushy, slimy, manipulative. And when we ask you who the greatest salesperson is, you know, you said your kid, there's an incongruence. Yeah, you said you said somebody you love deeply or respect. Or respect. The hell out of. Yeah. yeah. And so that incongruence is where Colin and I live. And that's, that's where- the duality part that Colin was talking about. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Super exactly. interesting. Chef Roy Choi was so great. You know, he said, this dude like has changed. He has sold his way through the entire food truck landscape and changed it. Like the guy's so good at selling that when he started, food trucks were looked at as like yucky and like and nasty food and real chefs wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. And now you can't go anywhere, especially Austin or LA and find great cuisine that's not at a food truck. But like that, I mean, so good that, you know, John Favreau and then made a, a movie, right? Like yeah. this guy's life. he is so proud about being an introvert. Like he is so proud. And, and we found it across the board, like introverts versus extroverts, who are the greatest sellers? Introverts are normally great salespeople just because we give them permission to sell. So like Chef Roy Choice in there, he's like, listen, dude, like I don't talk a lot. And when I do talk, everyone shuts the fuck up. Everyone listens. Mm -hmm. And he loves it. Right. Like these people that ask questions that speak rarely. And when they do speak, it comes out. That's the duality, introvert versus extrovert. So as an example. I want to know what the vibe is amongst young up and coming sellers. You, you all get to interact with, I'm assuming every day, with 18 to 22 year olds who are learning about business, entrepreneurship, sales and whatnot. How do they think about sales and selling and how is it different than kind of the people who are in the workforce right now or aging out of the workforce? Mm, it's such a good question. And you're right. We, we do get to talk to them every day. And we talk a lot to anybody who will listen about how, like, how amazing Gen Z actually is. They're really different than we were coming up. Like they're really... Uh, purpose-driven and they're really passionate. Like they want to make a mark on the world. I think way, at least for me, way more than I did when I was 20, 22 years old. Um, but they come into our class and they still have the same stereotype in their mind that everybody else does. And, you know, and we're lucky that we get basically 16 weeks to change their mind. And a, we have former students that are in just about every major company in a sales role now. And we're really proud of that. And they sort of realize that that okay i'm gonna have to sell to as, as colin said at the beginning to move people to change the world to change my world um but i don't think that they think as differently as anybody else they're just more open to um they realize that if they want to do the things they want to do which are bigger than the things i wanted to do when i was 20 they're going to need to sell and they want to do it their way and the good news is their way is really aligned with the unsold mindset and the, and these great people that we talk to because they are purpose driven and they are you know that th it's less about okay how much money can i stack up really early and how do i actually change the lives of the people that are around me so they're more open to the stuff that Colin and i like to talk about i think than than our generations were 
Um, but they definitely still start with that, that same kind of hurdle in their mind of, uh Oh, I got to sell and it's icky. Mm -hmm. Let me, so what, what generation are you two a part of you guys? Are you guys? Mm. <laughs> I, I am a Gen Xer and Colin is what I like to call a geriatric millennial. There you go. So there's the fuck you part. You were right, Colin. <laughs> so, I was waiting. It was going to come out. It always comes out. Yeah, it's fine. So, I was going to tell you that I am I'm one of the proudest roles I have is mentoring at Techstars because they're just these brilliant minds. Like they come out and they create products and companies that do change the world. And I've been part of, you know, this program for quite a long time. The last couple of cohorts, I can't tell you the percentage, but it feels like at least 50%. All of these companies and products have been around or circling around mental health awareness. Like, so like what they're focusing on is, is something that, you know, Garrett's generation did not focus on, right? Or my generation didn't focus on as much. You know, like if you think about rap music, like our generation rappers were, were drug dealers. This generation, like rappers are drug users. Like, I know that, 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 that seems obvious, but if you think about the emotionality, right? Like, these kids are not hiding what's most important to them, right? Like emotionally, like even like extending it all the way to rappers, which like I'm the first person to not advocate for using drugs. But if you think about who we thought were cool, right? Like we were listening to people that were talking about like hurting people, right? Now, like we're listening to people that are talking about their emotions at a level that like, I don't even know if I'm comfortable hearing they're so deep, you know what I mean? Because of whatever reasons so like i think that like this generation is focusing on the right things and because of that they're giving themselves permission to be way better salespeople. i, I agree it's interesting because i think scott is i'm gonna have to start using the geriatric millennial phrase but he was also a drug dealer too back in the day so you know <laughs> allegedly allegedly i was not a drug dealer let me just be clear yeah, More it's, drug it's not not well I'm two for two. <laughs> I evolved from drug, drug dealer to user. So there you go, Richard. So yeah, yeah. So we gotta we gotta stop and do this little mid roll piece, um, and then I think we'll, we'll maybe turn it over and let these guys ask us ask us some questions, and we'll go from there. But uh, again, want to give a shout out to HubSpot. Thank you so much for. Uh, supporting us and supporting the sales community. Uh, we know that a lot of companies, particularly as 2023, are under tons of pressure uh, to get more leads, faster sales, better insights, nurture their customers. Um, and it's one of the reasons we like HubSpot CRM because it kind of does all of it. And um, it, is, it does it with an easy setup. It's easy to integrate with all the things you want. Um, it's got a great content assistant piece. They've now rolled into a, a HubSpot AI tool. Um, particularly for someone, you know, technologically challenged, which we'll ask Colin and Garrett about in a second, but you can drag and drop stuff, which Scott always needs help with. And they've got about 1300 integrations within the, the tool. So um, it's super easy to customize for yourself. And again, we would just want to give a, a, a very gracious warm shout out to HubSpot. Please check our show notes uh, to click on a link there uh, to get access to HubSpot. And um, I don't know. I don't know if they're given a free trial, but they're welcome. You're welcome to tell them that Scott and Richard sent you, and um, they demanded we give you you give them a free trial. So blame us. Yeah. We're happy. Surfing sales five finger discount. Right. So Colin Garrett is one of you more technologically advanced or and or challenged than the other. Mm. Can I answer, Colin? 
Man, I don't know if I agree with you. We, we are both extremely technologically challenged. Like, <laughs> damn it, we are. We're both, ex but I'm. I will give myself the edge. And I don't think he can argue with that because anytime our up, our website needs to be updated, I'm the one that has to update it. So, but it's like it's really like a you know if Colin's a two, I'm like a two point four. So we're we're both pretty bad. Yeah. Well, just be fortunate that you're not working with someone who's a one. Yeah. That's <laughs> by by the one, he means me. Right. <laughs> and he wears point. it proudly. By the way, he wears like in in Scott's mind, it means well, I'm number one at sucking at this. So that's why. Well, what it also means is I've mastered the art of delegating shit that I don't want to do. So what I was going to say, and I love that you said that, is when you read the book, there's a chapter called Intentional Ignorance. And it's this it's this concept around, you know, if if you could think about what you would do for free, like the shit that you love, that you're super passionate about, like that that is an, an awesome place to be. But if you can do that correctly, then the next question is like, what, what are you paying me for? Like, what do I have to do? Even though I don't love doing it. Like Ray Lewis has a great quote, like you pay me for what I do Monday to Saturday, but Sundays are free. You know, we have found like with it, when, when you start to understand like how you can be intentionally ignorant and you know, how you can own your Dharma, but let somebody else love what you don't love doing. And you can create a team like that. Like you are, you are very much in flow as much as anybody else could be. Garrett um, is unfortunately at the other end of me being intentionally ignorant to updating our website. I but feel I, you, Garrett. I, I would say, you. I didn't want to say this. He secretly loves it. Like he does geek out on it. He is good at it. I don't know if I'm bad at it, but I certainly am intentionally ignorant to it, which means I don't love doing it. So I'm trying to give you credit, Garrett. You're passionate. Appreciate it. I feel that. Thank you. Yeah. Also, both higher sales. I feel like I feel like we're watching like that that's alternative universe Seinfeld episode. Scott and I like, Bizarro Bizarro exactly. World. Yeah, Bizarro, yeah, Bizarro world. world. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I want to ask one question, and, and then and then we'll uh, try to pivot and, and let you guys ask one or two questions. I want to know a little bit about the speaking circuit stuff. And, mm -hmm. and if I may be so bold, I, I want to ask about pricing and, and, and about um, how you value your time and all this kind of thing. And here's why. There's a lot of people who listen to the show who've got a lot of uh, experience, expertise. They've led teams. They do coaching. They do training. They've written books, all this kind of stuff. And we all get messaged periodically. Hey, can you go to this event? Would you be interested in keynoting this thing? Can you do that? Can you do this? Consistently, I hear from people, I have no idea how to charge for my time for this thing. And even Richard and I sometimes will message each other and be like, yo, I got this thing. How much do you think I should charge for this? So I'm curious how you guys have come up with your own, you know, structure or, um, you know, process for that. It's another example of intentional ignorance, I think, because we haven't come up with our own. We, uh, we are represented by a fantastic speaking agency, um, called um, leading authorities. It's one of the, one of the best in the biz. And, you know, they have an agent, uh, Richard. We, yeah. So they, they handle all of that for us and they handle the pricing depending on how far we're flying and, and, um, you know, the commitment and all that stuff. And, and they work with some really cool companies. So we're, we're pretty lucky that we get to ignore that stuff. Cause if we had to be the ones doing the contracts and the pricing and the travel and all that stuff, 
it, it probably wouldn't be as much fun as it is for us now because it is one of our favorite things to do to get out there and, and talk to folks and share this stuff. Um, so yeah, it's, it, I, I know it's, it's kind of a cop-out answer for you, but, but they handle it all for us. So it's, but is that, so is that advice that you would give to other people? Like, Hey, just get out of the way, work with these kinds of folks. What, what do you, if you have the ability to do that, it works for us. And you know, there, there's a price that comes with that. They take a, sure. they take a certain percentage and everything like that. But for us, it's absolutely worth it to not have to deal with, you know, some of the, the challenges and the things that they're great at that we are probably not as great at. Um, but it's, and it's also not an option for everybody. So I don't know, Colin, if you have better, like specific advice for where, where an agent isn't an option. Um, yeah. but I do, I will say this before Colin gives you a better answer is that, you know, you talked about Twitter earlier, Scott, that we, we see people talking about things and, and the value of their time online sometimes. And we're surprised at how much people undervalue their time or their expertise. So, you know, look around, ask the questions like you're asking. Um, I'm speaking more to anybody listening now. Like if, you, if you're not sure, find people who are like you, ask the questions and make sure that you're putting an appropriate value on your time and your expertise and your knowledge, because a lot of people sell themselves short. And I hate to see that, you know? Yeah. Colin, what's the, what's the right answer? I don't think that you're wrong. I think it was a cop-out, but a really smooth cop-out. So yeah, like, I'm good at that. And here's what I would say. And this Intentional is, ignorance. <laughs> this is going to sound woo-woo, but it's the truth. We get paid for what we would do for free. Like for sure, Garrett and I were on stages talking to people about the difference between being a learner and being a knower and why the greatest people, the greatest leaders in any room are the smartest people in any room because they don't want to be the smartest person in any room. Like we were saying stuff that I don't think a lot of other people were talking about in the moment, or at least talking about it from, from our perspective. We love that. So we were doing that for free always. You give us a stage, we would we would pay you to get on a stage like at some point in our career. Like so that's my first piece of advice is before you try to get paid for it. Like intentional ignorance is just is really just a through way into figuring out what you're good at and what you love doing. And when those two things converge, real good stuff starts to happen. So for us, we got signed to this agent before our book came out. So what was happening was we started teaching, like if I'm being very frank, we started teaching because we could afford to, right? Like we had some space, we had some time. And the question was, what would we do for free? We would change the way the world thought about salespeople by changing the way that salespeople thought about themselves because everyone's a salesperson. And that stung for a lot of people to hear. After a while, the minute we signed this book deal with HarperCollins, leading authorities reached out to us and said, hey, we know you don't have a book. And most of our people do, or most of our people are experts, but we see what you're talking about. And we know this book has not been written yet. We see your curriculum. We hear what your students are saying. We think your perspective is unique enough to get on stages now. But that all stemmed from like doing what we love doing. So like you all, right? Like you know, HubSpot, obviously, like you're already getting paid to do what you love doing, but like probably would have never happened if you didn't start doing what you love doing. Um, for free. So that's my woo-woo answer. And and also, yeah, leading authorities is the best in the business. And if you're really good at what you do, either they'll find you or you find them. We love them though. Cool. That's really, really cool. So Scott, we need to go back to doing it for free, buddy. That's <laughs> so yeah. leading authorities, that does not mean, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 we would not do it. Uh, 
but that that is solid advice and i do think it it'll it aligns with a lot of people i mean you know for those of us who are like linkedin people like scott and i like we we are doing it for free we are giving it for free we do speak at places for free we go on i go on just about any podcast someone asked me to go on why not you know um I flew to New York last week for free. I'm flying next week to Vegas. So I'm doing all that stuff. So leading authorities, if you're listening, um, give me a call. Um, I got anyway. Why I like you guys is because I have a problem with a lot of LinkedIn influencers. Oh, we should have uh, started. We should have started with this. Yes. Like a real big problem. I just think let it out. Let it out. From a responsibility issue, you know what I mean? Like people just get on. And they have a lot of people following them. And sometimes they're saying things that are going to hurt people, right? Yeah. Like they're hurt their careers, but because they have a bunch of following and they just, you don't have to be self-aware on LinkedIn sometimes. And so I just love that you're saying that and you're representing a very authentic and real version of yourself because it does not translate a lot of the times. Like there are certain people that like I love in real life that I would have never expected to you know fall in love with on LinkedIn. And so- I just want to commend you for that because you there's a lot of people that, that have numbers like you that are not like you. And we do not mess with that. We stay yeah. away. We do Thank not you. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate that. It's certainly something that Richard and I care quite a lot about, actually. Yeah. Um, Next time we come on, when we have more time, we'll have to have the social media conversation because that is something that Colin and I resisted for literally as long as we possibly could. Like we've, yeah. we have only been on social media as Colin and Garrett kind of talking about our, our message and our book and everything else for maybe eight months, maybe not even eight months now. Um, and we, because we just be part of, be, partly because of what Colin's talking about, like we just, we, we saw so many people and, and just didn't want to get bunched in with certain people saying certain things, but also because we were, we literally wrote an entire book and teach an entire class that's essentially boiled down to authenticity and being the most authentic version of yourself. And we were really nervous about being able to do that online, um, just knowing what it takes to grow or what it takes to be out there. And so it's been really challenging for us. It's been, we've been trying to take our own advice and have fun with learning it and, and the the wins and the losses that have gone along with it. It's been slow going, but we would love to hear how you all have, have done that. Um, we'll, we'll, have, we'll save that for the next conversation, I guess, but. Well, or, or we can make that your question to us because we usually. <laughs> and you answer so, it fast enough? Or yeah, we, we can, we all can answer it fast enough for sure. <laughs> you want to go first, Richard? All right, that's my first question that is then is like, how do you grow on social media without selling your soul and becoming one of the people that you we all know and have seen that we're talking about? You want to go first, Richard? Sure. Um, I think there's a couple of pieces for me. This is my style. One is a certain level of self-deprecation. There is a certain level of snarkiness. I'm conscious not to call out a person as an individual or an organization, I might say, I just heard from someone or I just learned something. Um, but I'm, I'm very conscious of that. I also think the other, the other really critical piece is the vulnerability and not talking about just good stuff, right? Like I, you know, I posted, I'm, I'm very big on mental health. I share my story. I'm a part of a board called Uncrushed, uh, which is a group, a nonprofit that focuses on helping salespeople because we get crushed by the goal learn how to be uncrushed and we share our stories and I'm very open about, you know, my, uh, my challenges with depression and how I made it my superpower and how I acknowledge it. And I sort of live in it. Um, and I'm also lucky that it never wanted to hurt myself or somebody else. So I think that vulnerability stuff 
matters. And part of Uncrushed, we've run a, a state of mental health sales report the last two years. And one of the number one things, you know, we asked questions differently. We said, when you were at your peak, what were your managers doing? Not when you were down, what were they doing mm -hmm. to help you? But when you were at your peak, so we can figure out what good looks like. And the key piece was almost, I want to say the top three, third reason was um, they were vulnerable. They were sharing and, and sometimes it'd be personal vulnerability, sometimes professional. So I think that vulnerability piece um, leads to the authenticity, um, you know, writing about, oh my God, you know, I haven't written it yet, but I threw up a zero in April. I did it once before. Like I threw up a zero. I'm a sales leader. I'm a sales trainer. Yeah, I have that too. Like, and it sucks. Mm. That I think is the stuff that really helps resonate. And then when you give the other kind of advice, people like it. And then for me, it's my snark and my humor and, and my self-deprecation that, you know, I think I'm as smart as I really am. So. Well, dude, it takes a tremendous amount of courage, you know, to, to be that vulnerable. Um, and, you know, I obviously agree with the vulnerability piece. I, you guys may or may not know, but I've talked a lot about my physical health struggles. I spent four years in the hospital in my twenties. Um, I've had nine major surgeries, overcame opioid addiction, all this stuff. So Richard's got the like mental side. I've had a lot of physical problems and continue to do the, the one part of the vulnerability that I didn't hear him talk about was the amount of courage required to put yourself out there and deal with the backlash of that because there will always be somebody who's like, Oh, you're exploiting your sickness for, you know, likes or whatever. Right. And you know, you grow to a certain point in size online, whatever platform I, I could go on LinkedIn right now and, and literally give away a million dollars and some motherfucker would complain and say, you're not giving me a million dollars. You're giving me 600 K because you left off the taxes and all this kind of stuff. It's like, <laughs> you're going to get ripped no matter what you say and do. So there's a level of courage required, I think, to put yourself out there. You're going to have another guy go on there and say, fuck you, Scott, I've been partnering with you for 10 years and you're not giving me a million dollars. Exactly. So, so you're going to piss off somebody is my point. Right. So knowing that you're going to piss off somebody, I decided a long time ago that I will not be Swiss. I'm not Swiss. I'm not neutral. Richard is much better than me, for example. And he even said it here. He was like, I don't want to alienate this person. I don't want to alienate that person. You know, he said something to me one time to the effect of, you know, Republicans have money too, Scott. And, and at one point in time, my response was, well, I don't want their money. I don't care about their money. Right. And so like, I decided for me that I'm not going to be Swiss. The things that I believe and stand behind, I'm going to talk about and sort of damn the consequences a little bit, because while all these other people will not engage with me, the people who do come my way know what they're getting and they're more like my people and my tribe. And I think I'm going to have a better relationship with it. Two other things I think are really important to your question, Garrett, um, in my experience. One of them would be accessibility. This, I actually believe, is probably my biggest strong suit. What I mean by that is anybody who knows me, who messages me, gets a reply within hours. Anybody. Yep. on any platform, on any channel. So I don't just put myself out there and say, oh, you know, read my newsletter. I helped 2 billion people today. It's like, anybody can say that. I know a lot of those people who say those things and don't reply to anybody. I reply to everybody. 
you send me a DM on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, or a text, if either of you sent me a message now that we've spent an hour together, you're getting a response from me quickly. I don't leave anybody on red. I don't forget to message people. So I am always available. I'm like throwing up the Batman signal for sales help or for friend help or whatever, right? And so that is authenticity. That is doing things that other people say that they will do, but often fail to do. So I become reliable and I can be counted upon. And the last thing I'd say is there's a body of work. I, I didn't start building a brand and authoring advice on day one. I spent the better part of 20 years working before I ever cared or thought about authoring content, doling out brands and being a creator and all this kind of stuff. I started growing my network on LinkedIn to help me recruit because I was a VP of sales and I needed to hire salespeople from all over the country. Mm -hmm. So when you come to somebody's you know, platform and you're like, oh, there's Richard. He has been a salesperson for six minutes. And you come to somebody else's platform. It's like Colin's been in sales for 20 years. He's led three companies. He's done this. That is like a authenticity that is there. And there's too many people who act and talk like an authority who haven't been in the game long enough to be one. Mm. And so they're pretending to me. Mm -hmm. So I, those are things I think about. Vulnerability, courage, not being Swiss, accessibility, and the body of work. The only thing that you didn't talk about, which I will give you a compliment for, is that a lot of times I have found that the numbers, as they start to rise on LinkedIn, as you start to become a creator, actually changes the way you act in real life. Like I, you know, like I've, I know people and when I met them and when I mentored them, right, they cared really deeply and they asked really thoughtful questions and they, and they were just, they were really great human beings first before they were great sales leaders or anything else. And then you talk to them after they have 20, 30, 40,000 followers and they're, they're not asking as many questions. Like they're making a lot more statements. And so if whatever you both have done to hold on to what's most important, I think is something that you should not, um, like you should share that with as many people as possible, because honestly, like that is the scary part. Like yeah. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know what my answer to that would be other than I have always derived more satisfaction and joy from helping other people succeed than doing anything Agreed. for myself. Or doing anything for myself. So I stay and remain curious and more apt to do things to enable other people than to do something for myself. I think, and, and y'all tell me too, is that, you know, as much as Scott and I like to give each other shit and talk shit, we really are just like the two of you. We are close friends and we can kind of knock each other down a peg if we need to. Right. Sometimes it'll hurt. Like there, I know that I've said things to Scott that have kind of like, Ooh, that might've been a little too close to the bone. Um, and, and likewise, but it's with the best of intentions and that we we've made sure that that's there. And I think, having that person in your life that isn't necessarily your significant other or family member or someone who's always your yes person. You know, you yeah. kind of got to have a no person. Yeah. And you got to have somebody that to remind you you're not that fucking important. Right. So we're um, really, 
So, and I get the sense <laughs> that y'all are that way too. So. We, it, yeah. I mean, I don't want it to sound negative. Like we are that way, but I, right. I think we both love that. I was, it's, it's a, this is a great segue to what my actual last question was going to be. I was going to try to try to bring it full circle. Yeah, don't let like Colin ask a question. Yeah. Colin, ask a question and then I'll bring it full circle and just put the period on it. Go ahead. Go ahead Colin. I'll ask my question after yours. Go okay. Ahead. Well, this is a perfect segue. I was going to ask you both because it sounds like, you know, there's, there's the healthy and sometimes not so healthy partner conflict. What is your favorite thing about each other? Everything. Richard is probably the most genuinely caring person that I've ever met. He's like the type of friend that will just randomly reach out to see how you're doing and, you know, wants to support and all that kind of stuff for no reason. On just like out of the blue and I'm not used to having that in my life and even now it's hard for me to accept that type of like genuine love and care uh as as real um and so there's an, a certain amount of strength and stability that's there in our our friendship and in our business that you know if, if stuff gets really really hard like I know I have somebody in my corner mm -hmm. and I have been in other relationships or business relationships that that has not been the case. So that that's probably my favorite part. Um, I think, I think it's, it's very similar is that Scott is the one who can make me focus the most um, on the, particularly on the business side. Cause I, I have ADHD and sort of, you know, he's like, no, Richard, why are you doing too much? You're over-servicing, you're doing this, and you're doing that. Um, and then he'll also support on the, on the, on the life side of things too, because I, I think I'm much more the pessimist and Scott's the optimist. And so if I'm, I'm feeling down about something, I'll be like, okay, Scott, what am I missing here? I feel like I'm missing something. And so I can go to him for, for that advice um, at any time. Like I think, which I think is the value of, of, you know, a lot of great friendships and it's never, We've had disagreements, but it's never to the point of like, oh my God, I think this friendship's over or this business partnership's over. You know, mm -hmm. we have, you know, we have disagreements, but we don't, it's like, that's just not even on the table. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's the part that I cherish and love about Scott too. Um, so. I don't Good answers. I'm glad we know you guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Colin, bring us home. I just want to say I've had this like long, I had this like long apology text that I had for Garrett. And, and I never had to send it because just talking about it, right? Like, is that my internet? Jeez. Can you guys hear me okay? Yeah. yeah. We got you. I had this long apology note for Garrett and I was just trying to broach the conversation and like, not that he let me off the hook for it, but he just made it clear. Like we are close enough where like the apology letter is not right. Like a needed nor sufficient, right? Because we're that close. It's like you don't write an apology letter to your brother, right? It's like, I know why you made the decision that you made and I love you, right? Independent of it, it hurt me. Like a lot of times those two things get conflated when like, when you don't have a real relationship with someone. Like if you hurt me, right? You're an asshole, even if you didn't do it intentionally. And so I just think, you know, this relationship that you were all talking about, I see so much of Garrett and I in it because the harder the conversations that we have, the more growth comes out of it, even if it stinks, you know? Um, and he's definitely the yin to my yang 
but now I'm just feeling real cheesy. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> um, I, so I know we got, we got two minutes left. Just tell me the last time you said no to money. Oh, t- two days ago. Wow. I mean, um, I recognize the privileged position that I'm in to not have to say yes to everything, first of all. Um, but I would rather go golf or do nothing than devalue my work and my services. Um, and so I walked away. It was simple as that. Somebody, somebody didn't agree with the price tag. And I said, well, no worries. You know, you could find somebody else and hope it works out. Yeah. I can say that I do that on deals. Um, but I don't think I'm as good at it as Scott. So for example, I'm going to speak next week at the Gartner summit, like the sales summit or whatever. If you guys are there, we should hang out. Um, but uh, you know, my ticket in is paid for, but I'm paying my hotel and my airfare, which is a really fucking annoying. Yeah. And I, and I would just be like, yeah, I'm not going. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I have this long vision of like, okay, I know how the karma works. I know that in two years, someone will say, I saw you speak at that, or I saw you speak mm-hmm. at that, or I'm like, well, this is the first time I get to speak at a Gartner thing. And it's like, well, maybe some Gartner people will get to know me and I'll be asked to do something else. You know, like, so I, that's the game I play. Um, when it comes to deals. Yeah. I don't discount that part's easy, but um, I can't remember the last time I said no, maybe other than to my kids. So you know, I turned down their money request. How's that? Is that, does that count? <laughs> I don't think that counts, Richard. I don't think that counts. Okay. So, uh, well, thank you guys. This has been awesome. Um, obviously, we should do it again uh, sooner than later. And um, where are y'all based? LA, I assume. Right. Tell everybody. Tell everybody the best way to get a hold of of you guys and where to find the book and all that good stuff. Yeah, we're we're super easy to find. We are on LinkedIn as ourselves. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Colin and Garrett. Um, and then ColinandGarrett.com has all the info about all the stuff we're up to. Um, and then, of course, the book is The Unsold Mindset. You can get it literally anywhere books are sold. Head over to your Barnes & Noble, hop onto Amazon, and let us know what you think. Cool. I would love to hear, we don't have time, but how did you choose Colin and Garrett versus Garrett and Colin? Mm. Was that well, I'll, I'll give you the short version on the book cover, which I don't know if you guys are on the book cover. Colin is first. I lost a coin toss years ago oh. and I have been the, uh, the mensch that I am. I have, I never wavered. That coin toss was final and I never complained once and, and that's okay. Uh, but honestly, it, it, you know, we, we're going to get back into where we started again, but Colin is, Colin is the star of the show. He's got the charisma. He's the cool one. Um, I just feel like my job, if I can make him look good and keep him on track, then I know that we are winning. So, so it is definitely, there was never a hesitation that it is Colin and Garrett and not Garrett and Colin. Now I'm right now. I got to tell Garrett to shut up. I'm not saying that anything he's saying is not true, but he's not giving himself enough credit. That coin toss thing, like Garrett was so kind, right? Like that's the reality of it. Like, yeah, I won the contest, the the coin flip, but if the if the roles were reversed, like the, the the matter of the fact is that Garrett has just been a hell of a partner throughout this entire process. And I don't know if I'm the star of the show. I know that he knows me well enough that he positioned us correctly to make sure that we could both do what we love doing. And fortunate enough for us they're the same thing, but within under that tent, they're two different things. 
And that's the whole yin and the yang thing, you know? So yeah, it was a coin flip, but I also have like the best partner in the world. You know what I mean? Like you tell me another partner that's going to let your name go first yeah. or say that, you know? So yeah, we should, we should record our coin toss, Scott. Our problem would be first, we call it two out of three. And then one of us would go, no, it's got to be three out of five. No, it's got to be four <laughs> out of, like it would just extend. Right. I, I promise you the thought crossed my mind to just, yeah, ah, it's got to yeah. be two out of three, but. Or, or, or we should do like a hot sauce contest. Whoever can last the longest. I bow out. I bow out of that one. <laughs> All right. We got to go. We went over a little bit on time, but God, this was so fun. This was like, I really do want to sit down and just have a beer with you guys one night and just hang Love out. That. So figure um, it out. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers, gentlemen. Thanks, guys.